Welcome to the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast. I am Lindsay Lockett, your host. The episodes of this podcast weave together a web of healing. The conversations shared here are created with love and the belief that awareness, curiosity, authenticity, and vulnerability are our most necessary and powerful healing tools, and they are already within each one of us. The spider's web has served as a great teacher for me. Webs are designed in such a way that the tiniest vibration in one part of the web ripples out and vibrates the entire web. Through this intricate network, every thread is connected. Nothing happens to one that doesn't somehow affect the others. Each human is a strand in the collective web, and inside of you exists the threads of body, mind, spirit, emotion, ancestry, and community that make up your web of life. It is not unlike the web of neurons in our brains or the web of the nervous system that connects each system and part of our bodies together. Everything is connected. I hope this podcast helps you get to the root of how trauma has affected every part of your existence and helps you weave a new web of life that isn't ruled by the past. Welcome, Tara Oath out to the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast. Um, this might be one of the most like juicy conversations I've ever had because you were on the documentary Shiny Happy People, um, which for those who don't know, you should watch the documentary. It's about the the Duggar family, the the people who were on TLC's show. I don't know. They started at 16 kids and counting, and then it was like 19 kids and counting, and then it was like 27 kids and counting or something. <laughs> so, uh, and, and a lot has come out about the Duggar family in recent years because their oldest son, Josh, um, has really put their family through the ringer, <laughs> put his wife, his yes. poor wife, Anna, through the ringer yep. Um, yep. with being involved in the Ashley Madison scandal. And then even before that, news surfacing about some sealed juvenile court records where he had inappropriately touched some of his sisters and other girls in their Christian community. Um, and then the most recent thing, which he's now in prison for, which was that they found like really awful, intense child porn on his computer um, at his car lot. And he went through the whole trial and was convicted and all of that. So um, Shiny Happy People is the documentary that is really showcasing the life of this family with all these kids. But even greater than that, it's this whole organization of the IBLP, which I'll let you tell listeners what that stands for, that was founded and run by a minister named Bill Gothard, right? Ken Gothard. Yep. Bill. 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 Bill Gothard. Okay, yeah. Bill. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> and And it was like, it's a cult. Like it's literally a cult and it centers around like I, I know the the quiverful movement. Yeah. Um, you're you like go, supposed, girl. Okay. So you're like <laughs> supposed to have as many kids as God will give yep. you because birth yep. control is a sin. Yep. Um and all of them like homeschool. And the IVLP mm -hmm. came out with their own homeschooling curriculum, I believe. Yep. Yes. Um, okay, so that kind of sets our listeners up. And you were actually on the documentary, Shiny Happy People. Yes. And we're going to talk about your experience growing up in IBLP in this cult. 
Um, you and your husband both, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you guys have, have left, have since yes. left that. And now you were on this documentary. The documentary is up for a Critics' Choice Award, which is yes, it crazy is. cool. Mind-blowing. Um, okay. So have I set it up appropriately? You have done like Jeff's kiss. This was beautifully done. I'm so impressed. <laughs> okay. Well, I like – we used to watch the Duggars. Like that was one of the Seriously? only TV shows. Oh yeah, it was one of the only TV shows we used to watch with our kids because it was so wholesome. We oh, were like, yes, "This is such wholesome TV," and like our kids had all their names memorized and like totally. When we were that's still Christian. amazing. That's yep. amazing. Yep. Yes. Yeah. No. That's a. I mean, you can just like take some hints, guys. Do you see how these kids are behaving? You might want to like take a lesson from their playbook. Look at how well-behaved they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's some very wholesome television. <laughs> very wholesome. Yeah. And now I'm like, fuck, why did we watch yeah. that show? <laughs> but back then, oh, no. I was like, oh, look at this wholesome Christian family and they're homeschooling yes. like us. And yes. like, yeah. No, I get the appeal. Yeah. I get the appeal. Oh, there absolutely is. And it just, there seems to be, there's a facade of peace right? Of just like mm-hmm. having it together and maybe mm-hmm. having the answers. And and it's it's that way on purpose. It's so that outsiders looking in go, what do they have that I don't have? And maybe I should have it. Like, and that's and kind they of all want part you to of- know, oh, we have Jesus. That's what we yes. have that you don't have. It is. And that's a, in, that's a part of the entire Christian community. I, this past week, I've been uh, talking with my EMDR therapist about how it just feels like the church as a whole is kind of just like manipulatively gaslighting all of us into that, like that thought you process. Said it. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. Yes. And that's exactly, I mean, it's just when you, when you're able to step back and actually see it for what it is, it's it, oh my gosh, it's crazy to think that my entire life was, you know, revolved around this. Yeah. So start at the beginning. Tell us about your entire life growing up in this <laughs> IBLP cult. Yes. Okay. So uh, I, my husband and I were both homeschooled. Um, I would say that primarily my husband had far more of like an indoctrination in, in regards to IBLP, which IBLP is the Institute in Basic Life Principles. Um, that's Bill Gothard really had a thing for acronyms because he just had all kinds of like little ministries and, you know, subcategories and it was all just acronymed out like, okay, whatever floats your boat, Bill. Uh, but uh, I also, while I didn't go, like my husband Floyd went to like every conference that they had. He went on mission trips. He went to Russia with with this um whole ministry. Uh, he was there for two months. He uh, smuggled money into the country for them. Uh, he was in Mexico for months. And, like His family's involvement in this was just like massive. And my my family's involvement is more from the curriculum aspects. So like okay. we used the wisdom booklets. We use character sketchbooks, which looking back on that now as someone who is still in the process of deconstructing, it's like, oh, and that's why I'm fucked up. <laughs> Because it's the like, just for example, the character sketchbooks were just these gorgeous, like leather bound books with watercolor pictures and charcoal pictures of animals and Bible stories. And as you know, someone who would have lived in the woods with the animals, it was just something that really like drew me in. And I look and I read the stories now as an adult and 
it's it's very obvious why I have why anyone who would have been raised on this would have some of the hangups that they do. Just for example, like there's a story about um you know, a mother bear who leaves her cubs and she wants them to stay in the cave. Don't leave the cave. But the curious little cub leaves the cave and as a result gets nearly mortally injured. The mother is nearly mortally injured. And the lesson is obey your mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like at the end of the day, and it just, oh my gosh, whether it was my parents' you know, goal for me to think that my life depended on it. I'm not saying that, but that's the the story that was conveyed to me, you know, as a child. So we we used the curriculum. My parents used other homeschool curriculum. So they were just more generally, uh, I don't know, uh, conservative, fundy, you know, religious, you know, very, very right wing. Everything that you see in that documentary my family was without us going to the conferences, without us going to, you know, knowing Bill Gothard himself. Whereas my husband's, his, his father went to prison um, for uh, sexual abuse against a minor. And Bill Gothard actually sent his mother checks from his personal checking account to help support her so that when his dad came out of prison, they could stay together. Like, he supported and put them on his my husband's family on a pedestal for the pedophile and the mother remaining as one. So that was one of the reasons why we were so eager to be involved with this because from the aspect of what Josh Duggar did and the fact that this is you can see through the documentary and through the timeline just like push it under the rug, push it under the rug. This is something, but it, it grooms victims and it creates predators. The whole cycle of the, you know, just the deeply religiously entrenched, you know, taking it way too far. Uh, yeah. You know, just ideology. Yeah. So do you come from a family with lots of kids? So both Floyd and myself come are the oldest of three kids. Okay. We, it wasn't, it, they weren't, they weren't huge families. And as much as like that was the quiverful movement, like that was a big part of it, it. You almost saw it more when it was like a Duggar situation or it was like kids, families that had like seven kids, five kids, but that wasn't the, the average. Those were the families that got like really, oh, look at, they're doing it right type of a situation. But on average, people had three and four kids. Yeah. Okay. So for people who don't know, and we say quiverful movement, yes. um, I, I want to kind of give a little background for that. So Absolutely. the quiverful movement, this is according to Wikipedia, is nice. a Christian theological position that sees large families as a blessing from God. It encourages procreation, abstaining from all forms of birth control, natural family planning, and sterilization. The movement derives its name from Psalm 127, 3 through 5, where many children are metaphorically referred to as the arrows in a full quiver. Yes. So there's the background that was, for that. That My husband's mom's email address was my quiver, my my three quivers or whatever. Like it was just something oh, a derivative wow. of that. And like I remember when I first met my husband, I was like, Oh wow, that's like dedication. The email address is even quiverful. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So so your husband's dad 
was a pedophile. Yes. Got convicted, went to prison. Yes. Bill Gothard funded his wife, your mother-in-law. Yes. So that they could stay together. Are is he out of prison yet? So he um he has since passed away. He okay. is out of prison. Um this happens um we're probably we're over two decades ago at this point. Uh, okay. When I walked into my husband's life, he had just been released. And okay. I was the first outsider to walk in on this shit show of a situation and go, so how, like, I'm curious when you're dating your husband, like, how does he start the conversation to be like, by the way, Tara, sweetheart, yeah. my dad is a convicted pedophile and he's been in prison. I mean, like, is how that does he? <laughs> I, you're right. Like, when I look back on it, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, bless that man. Because if he had handled it any differently, I wouldn't be sitting here. Uh, we, we, I was his first and only girlfriend that he had ever had. Of course, because um, dating is a sin. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and oh God, but about two weeks of us like hanging out as friends, friends only. Um, he said, I have something I need to tell you. And we went to lunch. And he was just like, uh, this is this is the story. And I kind of just sat there and he's like, I wanted you to have the whole picture because it was obvious that we were like, we were hanging out as friends, but we were like head over heels for each other. And he's like, before this were to go any further, I just need you to know the whole picture. And I remember thinking, oh shit, like, do I want to be associated with anything like that? Like, that's that's a scary, you know, setup. And I'm like, well, all I can do is go one day at a time and like delve into this and the once we like spent more time together and we're dating more it was just so obvious just how much my husband wasn't his family mm-hmm. and was very eager to hear someone else's opinion or thought process about like his his oddly enough his parents weren't very keen on my opinions or thoughts on the situation <laughs> I wonder why <laughs> yeah no um that was I encouraged Floyd to he he actually never was told by his parents what happened or that his father was going to prison or anything. He found out from like kids on the street, like from playgrounds, you know, like just conversation. Like that this so was what how was did going his mother on. explain that their father was like gonna be absent for quite some time? He was away. He was just away. Like doing ministry or he was just away? He was just – they didn't talk about it. Because like to a certain extent, they she knew they knew like as a result of conversation and overhearing stuff, but never delved into it further. It was never – it was never something that was just like, I'm going to walk you guys through this. Here's the information. This is blah, blah, blah. And when he came home from prison, there were still minors in the house. Like, Like – just as far as like him coming home and his own children still being minors. Like, oh, how long was he in prison? Six. No, okay. Uh, he was in prison for, he was in prison for three years and on parole for three years. It okay. was a six year sentence. But once he was like released from the parole, he moved right back home, like right back into the house. And it was just a situation of like, when I heard all these details, I'm like, he probably shouldn't have come home. Like, that doesn't seem like a real safe thing to yeah. have happen. But they were one. I mean, and that's like something that right. you can see throughout 
all of whatever the, you know, the writings and stuff from Gothard. And the very first time that Floyd actually sat down to ask his mom questions about it, I was there and I had encouraged him, like, you need to just, as an adult, sit there and have a conversation, like me, clueless as a an 18 year old, like, you just have to talk about it. This is all you've got to do. And uh, she like was livid and upset and we, we are one and we are listening to God and it's what the Bible says. And, you know, this, this is how it's supposed to be. And Tara, you're a bitch. (laughs) So, so did his, did Floyd's mom like maintain her husband's innocence? Was it like he was being persecuted as a martyr and he wasn't actually a a pedophile? Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. I don't know if I've looked at it like that. I'm going to, so we're very guarded of the story just because of protecting who the victim was. Um, but what I can say is there was no denying it. She she was the one who uncovered it. Oh. And so there was no denying what what occurred. And so just I think of it, it came more from an aspect of, I mean, you're familiar with scripture, like the Bible doesn't necessarily okay divorce unless it's like this like very specific. And even then, like I have watched men wiggle and squirm their way out of, you know, a situation where it's a biblical divorce. So it was just a situation where no one around her even like specifically Bill Gothard would have said that this is a divorceable offense. And that's one of the, when I look at the whole picture and look at what ended up happening with Bill Gothard, as far as the, you know, the court cases against Bill, because Bill Gothard was also accused and then uh, was set to go to trial uh, as having been a predator against, I believe it was, I mean, it was, over a dozen Jane Doe's and just different girls that through his ministry, he was accused of essay. So when you look at that, of course, Bill Gothard is going to be like, okay, Floyd's mom. Yes. You need to stay with Floyd's dad because you know, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm going to say this and it, it, it turns my stomach and I haven't really gotten to say this on any sort of a public platform, but I know that Bill Gothard is someone who would 1000% blame the victim mm, yeah. and attempted to to do so in Floyd's father's case. So in if that's the situation that's, you know, I don't know, Floyd's mom is definitely going to have a lot of outs to to staying. Mm-hmm. And 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 at the end of the day when I saw the whole picture for what it was, I I had more disdain for Floyd's mom than I did his dad. Like, I just, I really thought that that was just something that she should have never stayed with him. Yeah, I can see why you would feel that way. I would feel the same way. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in, in the state that this happened in, he got the longest possible sentence. Wow. Six years is the longest possible sentence. That was the longest possible sentence. That's so crazy. The judge was definitely trying to to do their damnedest to put him away. Wow. Yeah. So how old were you and your husband when you got married? I was 19 and he was 22. Okay. I was 19 and I got married too. Were you really? 
Yeah. And how long have you been married? 21 years. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. We just celebrated 18. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So, um, so when Floyd found out the truth about his father, yes. Did he hate his father? Did he, was he in denial about it? Like, what was that like? Floyd has like the most, to me, amazing story. And if you ever want to interview him, you're, you're more than welcome because he's got a great, he's, he's a character and a half, but he, you're, you're in it, right? You're surrounded by the ideology and the rules on how you're supposed to behave. And just, you know, he didn't see the adults in his life rejecting this person. You know, there was no example so it took him uh, – Bill Gothard ended up starting his own quote-unquote college called Verity, and that was in Flint, Michigan. And Floyd was in the the flagship ship class. Uh, it, he was the very first freshman class, and uh, he went and participated in that. And I, I think that there was uh, something, a part of that independence and being kind of out on his own that – allowed him to entertain maybe that still small voice that's going, this isn't right. There's something off here. Like Even at Bill Gothard's college, he was still able to entertain that voice. I think there was enough. And you know, when I look at the whole picture, like there were kids who would get swept up in the middle of the night and they would never see them again because they had done something wrong and they would end up at one of the other training facilities and they knew that they were being put through the ringer, being punished, punished, trying to be put back on track. Right. So when I look at that, I'm like, how did Floyd have so much freedom and independence <laughs> while he was at school? And, but he just managed to get away and be by himself and maybe see enough of like the real world, even, even through the limited lens of being at Bill Gothard's college that it was just this opportunity to kind for him to kind of go, no, there's something wrong here. And when he was home on a holiday break after a year at school, he quote unquote ran away from home. He was 19, so it's not exactly running away, but he hitchhiked. When you when you look at the the infantizing that something like this does, it was running away. He was in yeah. no way prepared for the world. And he got he hitchhiked. There was um, he ended up with a truck driver that, at the time, Floyd looked at it as a massive betrayal. But the truck driver ended up bringing him back to his family. And I'm like, if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have met, dude. So you can't be too mad at him. <laughs> but it just that when the truck driver brought him back after being out on his own, now really on his own, the ultimatum he made with his parents is, "I will go right back out to the road." And start hitchhiking again until until I die, or you will not make me go to church. You will not make me go back to Verity. You will not like it was just he couldn't put his finger on what the problem was, but he knew it was worse when he was surrounded by that. That's so, and so interesting. Yeah, that's so he interesting his- because I like thinking back to my time as an evangelical and like i would definitely say that the the southern baptist denomination is very yeah. cult like yeah um obviously like some churches is that what are, you were yeah i was raised southern baptist i mean yeah. you you were basically raised in the same cult i mean that southern baptist is 
horrendous. Yeah. I mean, we like, I was allowed to, I was allowed to wear pants. Like I, I didn't have to I wear. I was too. I wasn't I did- allowed to wear pants to church. Oh yeah, um, I know. Like I remember, I don't think I, I think I was in high school before I ever wore pants to church, but like yeah, wearing be pants accurate. on a Sunday morning was like a, a no. Yeah. Straight um, to hell with you, Lindsay. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I was raised Southern Baptist. My husband was also raised Southern Baptist. My husband's uh, entire family, in fact, to this day are all Southern Baptist pastors. So, so my in-laws are still Southern Baptist pastors. Um, that's gotta be, do you guys have a relationship with them? We do. Yeah, we okay. do. Um, they're, I'm not saying it from the perspective of being like that you shouldn't. I was – my yeah, – okay, good. Because I'm like my experience is that they wouldn't want to have one with you. Well, I mean that – my mother-in-law is is really incredible. Like for, for all the fundamentalism that my in-laws are wrapped up in, mm-hmm. they are pretty non-judgmental when it okay. comes to like other people's – lives. Like th- they would still say that like we're living in sin or that like, right. if you, you know, like they question them about it. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. they're definitely still praying us back into the fold. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's definitely still happening. Yes. But, um, it's, it's just to the point now where like, you know, I'm, I'm able to like code switch with my mother-in-law. So like I can use words like God and prayer and it yep. means something different for me than it means yes. for her. Like, yep. I know when I'm talking about God, I'm talking about like universal consciousness. And when she's talking about God, she's talking about the God of the Bible. Like, yes, I know that, but a, a year or two ago, being able to use the word God in front of her would have felt like I was like being inauthentic or people pleasing. Hypocrite. But now it just feels like yes. this is an authentic way that I can connect with you. And it doesn't have to mean the same thing for me that it means for you in order for me to like foster this connection. Yeah. That's what a process to get to for sure. Um, but my husband's siblings are all in ministry. My husband, both of my husband's uncles, Baptist pastors, um, like my husband's grandparents used to own a Christian bookstore in their small town. Um, so like it's, it's very thick in, yes. in my husband's family. And yes. um, yeah, we were, we were definitely raised like no drinking, no dancing. Um, although we did, dating? Um, so we, we danced at home. Like I remember my, my stepfather was a country and Western lover and he loved that music and he loved to dance. And so we danced at home and like, I was allowed to go to school dances and stuff. Um, but David's family, like they were like no dances. And in fact, I remember being at a wedding with my in-laws one time and the wedding reception had a dance and David's mom, my husband's mom was like to her husband, like, do you want to go dance? Like she was being kind of flirty. And I was like, and I watched my father-in-law literally go, there's too many people from the church here. You know, I can't do that. And I just remember being like so heartbroken for my mother-in-law because I know. Right. Um, so yeah, just the, like being concerned with what other people think about you and like making sure you're holding up the right image and, um, and yeah, so being raised in Southern Baptist church, my husband being raised in Southern Baptist church, we got together when we were 18 and we did start dating. So I was allowed to date once I was 16. Okay. Um, but like I wasn't allowed to be in my room with the door closed with a boy. Oh, yeah. Um, but I definitely still like found ways to mess around with boys and lied about <laughs> it. 
Okay. Oh, right. Good for you, but girl. I, Good then for I you. felt so guilty. Like the oh, guilt the shame. and the shame. Like, because yep. I've been told my whole life, like when I was 12, I signed the True Love Waits pledge. Like I signed the card. Did you too? I did too. Oh my, were you 12? Oh, I was, I was little. Yeah. I was very little. I can't remember exactly. And did you like, what about, um, so like Joshua Harris, I kissed dating goodbye. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah. No, I had all the books. My youth, my youth group read that book as a youth group. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh no. I also, I also read, um, there's a woman author. Her name is Dana Gresh and she wrote, uh, and the bride wore white. <gasps> and oh, I, God, read I haven't her heard book. that title in a million years. I had that book. I don't know how far I got into it because I think I was on like overload. Of I read it. I read the whole thing. Okay. And yeah. did you? And, and for you as a young girl, like reading this, it wasn't like even a hook, line, and sinker moment. It's like this is a way of being. Like it felt like. It never I'm, felt manipulative to me. I never had no, the, I never had the yes. cognitive awareness to be like, wow, is this is this what I want? Is this right. fucked up? Is this right. is this real? Like I never yes. had the it was just like this is what is expected, so this is what yeah. I must become. Yeah. Absolutely. I I feel that to my my core. And I just I remember anything that would have made me feel that I was doing what God wanted me to do. Yes. You know, that just that closer to heaven, further from hell (laughs) type of a situation. And, but let me tell you the shame, it's gnarly little fingers, like the, the grasp, the grip that it had on me as a result of, you know, purity culture. I mean, I could do, I could talk for hours and hours on it just because the damage followed me into my adulthood. And I'm 37 years old and I had sex with my husband for the first time two years ago. And I've been married for 18 years. Like it's, it's a, (laughs) it's a mind boggling thing to throw out there at people because I do have a child and I've had three miscarriages. So, uh, there's ways kind of to make that happen, but it was always so painful. There was always such a horrific mental, emotional, spiritual hold. It's not a fucking light switch. You can't no. go sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. Oh, today sex is good. Go yeah, for it. I've, I've literally said the same thing too. Is like It's like you're indoctrinated with this like – your virginity is everything. You are yes. completely worthless trash if you yes. get married and you're not a virgin. Yep. Um, I had a youth pastor's wife one time who like held up a sheet of white computer paper and she was like, this, this is you in your like pure wholeness. And if you have sex before marriage or you fool around or whatever, she'd start, she started ripping pieces of the paper apart and throwing them to the ground and being like, this is what you are. You're just ripped up pieces of trash. Yep. Or, or the other one was, um, if a man marries a non-virgin, it's like, um, you're a piece of gum that someone has chewed up and spit out. Yes. Yes. You got that one too? I have seen the analogy with the piece of paper and I have heard the gum. Yep. Absolutely. There. Yeah. I mean, and that imagery, it stays with you. It, oh my it, God, forever. Whether or not you're thinking about it like consciously, I just, 
for the longest time, I thought that there was like maybe something like physically wrong with me that was preventing the the sex because it was just like, I, there's got to be something because I know that now that I'm married, it's good. Like I, right. it can't be something that's like in my head or in my heart. That's a problem. Oh, and not only is it good, but it's also your godly duty. Your job. It's your job. To please your husband. Yes, it is. Because your body is not your own. It belongs no. to your husband. And here's the thing. It was never your own because I don't know right. about for you. Um, my dad gave me a necklace when I was 12 or 13. And it says, he who holds the key shall unlock my heart. And I wore that necklace like my entire teen, you know. Yeah, I, I had all a purity my, ring. Yes. And he had a tiny key. There was a tiny key that went into the heart and my dad presented it to my husband on our wedding day. Wow. And just even in that, my dad was never an overbearing or very domineering man or like someone who seemed very like overtly patriarchal, but uh, I still like belonged to him, mm-hmm. you know? And so there was like a transfer. At no point was I mine. Right. Like it just, I think that might play a part in why like through my therapy and EMDR, you know, my phrase is like, I am powerful. I am powerful and I am capable of peace (laughs) because it's just like trying to take that goddamn power back is a real bitch. Well, when you never had it to begin with, it's like, this is all brand new. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I don't know. You don't have to answer this question if it's too personal, but like when you say we just had sex for the first time two years ago, I mean, I'm guessing you mean like actual, like love making sex that wasn't like just to have a baby or like it didn't hurt. Okay. So just so you know, I am an open book. You will not offend me with any questions whatsoever. Um, and (sighs) yes, I, I would say that outside of the conceiving of my son, And maybe like on one hand, I can count the times before two years ago that I had penetrative sex. And so when, and this is the bizarre thing, we filmed for the documentary in January of 2022, because it's, this is 2023. I can do math. Yeah, it was, uh, we, we had filmed for, for the documentary about a year and a half prior to its release. And it was a phenomenal, amazing experience that was absolutely like door opening for me. Like I think I had been tiptoeing into my deconstruction and then I sat down in front of the cameras and this crew. And it was like, as I left, I was like, well, I am free falling into my deconstruction right now. There is no floor. And there was something about that though, that just released so much. And like, started to be able to pick up with therapy and the stuff that I was doing. And it was just like, it opened me up. And within like a month or two after having filmed for the documentary, the girl was banging. Nice. (laughs) The pussy sparkle was there. It was there. It was, it was great. Yeah. And I joke with my so phenomenal. I said to Floyd before we went to the film for the documentary, I was like, you know that I'm an open book when it comes to, like, cause at that point we didn't have like an active sex, sex life. I'm like, I'm an open book. And he's like, it's important that you're able to share this. You know, it's your story. You know, it doesn't bother me. Like 
he has stood beside me and loved me and walked this with me every step of the way. But I tell him, I am so grateful that this man got to have fucking sex before he was 40. Like, <laughs> like I'm so glad that this man has gotten to ha- experience that before the big 4 yeah. occurred. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, how did you feel guilty that you weren't having sex for all those years because of oh. the whole, like, it's your God-given duty to please your husband in this way? And if he goes and I- finds it somewhere else, it's your fault? I think that if he had ever gone and found it somewhere else, I would have owned it to the 10th degree. I think that I would have absolutely been like, oh, well, this is completely my fault. I did this. Uh, I will say that when Floyd and I picked each other out, one of the reasons why I picked him out was because of the safety that I felt with him and the fact that at no point did I ever, ever feel an expectation from him. Like, And so I feel so bad for him that it took this long for me to reach this stage of our relationship and to, I mean, dear God, he's a freaking saint, but it just, I don't know that I would have ever, for me personally, been able to marry someone that I would have felt that way with, even though I knew that that was like a part of the ideology and the expectation. Yeah. He sounds a lot like David, like David was the same way. Um, So you talk about David, on Instagram and stuff, what like I'm like, oh my gosh, that so reminds me of Floyd. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you. Sorry, but yeah. Okay, no, no, no you're fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like even though we were both raised in this very patriarchal yes. way, like David was not at home with me, being like, you're not fulfilling your wifely duties, and here's yeah. all the ways that you haven't lived up to Proverbs 31. Like David yeah. was never ever doing that. Yeah, David was never like. Women are supposed to be quiet in church, even though we were both indoctrinated to believe that. And like, I don't know, yes. I don't know how he he ended up not like perpetuating that onto me. But I, I, honey, I I feel the exact same way, and I just look at it as a huge gift because, yeah, in the same way that like it, we were all in this, you know, this situation where we're all being indoctrinated to a certain extent there, there had to have been a part of them that were just like, nah, you know, just like, yeah, I, I see the, I joke that I bring Floyd joy and I look at you and I look at you, the pictures of you and David, and I'm just like, you bring him joy too. You know what I mean? Like as much as they're our safe place, we're their safe place too. Yeah. And that just goes so much more magical than anything scriptural that you can put (laughs) on. Oh yeah, totally. That yeah, that that blows scripture out of the water for sure. Oh yeah. So okay, you guys got married when you were nineteen, and he was twenty two. Twenty two. Yep. And were you both still really involved in evangelicalism or in IBLP or anything like that? So Floyd really backed out of IBLP around that time frame that he ran away. So that was around okay. the ages of nineteen and twenty. Um, when I met Floyd. Oh, bless his heart. When I met Floyd, he was agnostic, um, teetering on the edge of atheist or okay. and very much researching like other religions, trying to get a handle on things. I was still very much the good little girl of, mm. you know, I, I mean, I had dated at that point. Like Floyd was not my first uh, boyfriend, but we I mean, he was my first first. If if I wasn't getting it on until I was 35, you got to know anyone I dated got nothing from me. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
but uh yeah uh he i i was still very much my parents have done can do no wrong they are the ultimate authority in my life um there you know you see with bill gothard iblp the umbrella where it's like god your mm-hmm. parents you and there's even bigger ones where it's like god Bill Gothard sometimes on there, your pastor, your senators, your, you know, and there's your parents and then you. And so just that was still very much, even if it wasn't something, again, that I was consciously living my life by, the ideology was so manipulated and gaslit into me that it was my way of being. And I just, I, I can't imagine why on God's green earth that that man looked at me and was like, eh, I'll dip my toe back into that world for you. Because it just, I was never going to be with someone who wasn't a Christian. But when I met him, it was immediate. He worked at Walmart and I was shopping and he walked by and didn't ask if I needed any help. And then when he walked by a second time, he had the gumption to ask me and I go, well, it's about time that you asked me for help. And then he he laughed and I saw his name tag and it said Floyd. I was like, is your real name Floyd? He said, yes. And I go, oh, your mother did not love you. <laughs> Shit. And he, he laughed his ass off. Like he thought that was so funny. I was like, did this man? I was just really spunky that night, just really feeling myself. And I, in no way in a million years did I think that I just uttered the first sentence to my future fucking husband. Like that just didn't. So I had nothing to lose and I was never more wholly myself talking to a a guy. And so when he laughed and he like just was entertained by me, I was like, wait, is this possible? He's not shushing me. He's not telling me to be quiet. He's not like embarrassed by me i just completely insulted his mother with the first sentence i ever fucking said to him like (laughs) and right off the bat like and i remember going through that conversation being like oh i just said something really goofy and snotty oh he's laughing again you know like it was just very much this give and take too much for him no i wasn't too much for him and and we i found out in that very first conversation that he had also been homeschooled and that it was also with uh, the curriculum that I had used growing up. And then I was also very disappointed to find out that he didn't believe in any of that stuff anymore. And so- Okay. So, we- so how, did that, how did that work? Like if he, if he was out of the IBLP and in church and all of that, and you were still in it, like- Oh, Lindsay, it was, oh, it was so terrible because- we talked for like three hours that night at Walmart. Like, I don't know how he didn't get cans. It was when you just stood there and talked about exploding toilets and, you know, if you could shave a beard with a chainsaw, like just very, very pertinent, important. And like one of the very last things as I was leaving, I said something. I had been there to look at Christian CDs and he was like, oh, shit, she's looking at Christian CDs. <laughs> but um, we... He doesn't have any game because he was homeschooled and didn't have a cell phone. And what ended up happening was I left that night thinking that was so much fun. I have a massive crush on that guy. I don't really understand the religious situation. But for the next couple of weeks, we ran into each other places and then would have hour-long conversations. So I found out where he was at religiously. I found out. And 
I said to him, I'm like, it's a real shame because I really like you, but we would never be able to date because I could not marry you. And we started, we hung out for about a month. And then ultimately he knew where I was at with things. And he started going to different churches, like not with me on his own, trying to see if maybe, because remember at this stage of the game, he couldn't put his finger on what was bothering him in regards to the religious. He thought, you know, he took time off. Now I got this girl that I'm interested in. And maybe I just need to like find the right person to talk to. So he, he ended up finding someone, he ended up talking to them and he ended up rededicating his life to God. And so then we could start dating. Like, so then you got married and you were going to church together after you got married. Oh yeah. Oh man. Like, yes. And we saved sex for, we we saved sex for 17 years just to be on the safe side. Really? (laughs) So like you didn't, you didn't have sex on your wedding night? No, no, we didn't have sex on our, our wedding night. We didn't have sex on our honeymoon. We Did you fool around? Oh yeah. Okay. Like fooling around, fooling around okay. happened, but no, like no sex. Sure. It was yeah. never. And and there was a lot of times where like even fooling around, like I could like rip myself to sheds and feel guilty about it. Like, oh yeah, I know that feeling. Oh yeah. Oh girl, isn't it great? It's just yeah. Because literally, the switch does not flip. Where it's like, no. you're you're not supposed to have sex. You're not supposed to think about it. You're not supposed to talk nope. about it. You're not supposed to look yep. at anything having to do with sex. You're supposed to guard your heart and guard your eyes yep. and guard your body. Da 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 da. And then, oh, you're married. Switch flip. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. married now. Like, yeah, you're no. Like, and <laughs> you hear everything that's you know anti-sex, anti-sex, anti-sex. I knew nothing about anything else, like fooling around or like mm. other ways to, to knew nothing. So then. Any of that also felt like guilty and bad. Yeah. Like, totally. so now not only am I not giving him sex, now I'm doing these other things that just, you know, okay, this doesn't feel like I was never told about this. So this maybe, this is probably not great either. I would think they what if would- we're the only ones doing this. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Oh my gosh. I thought that thought at times. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, you got to, the other thing is anyone that I'm friends with, has to be in the same fucking echo chamber with me, right? So sure. there's no one else in my life that I can talk to about this. There's right. no one else that I can like I my girlfriends now that I've got, you know, oh my gosh, it's sometimes it's just one of the best things to have to talk about sex. And it just It is. And it's so and I'm in my late 30s doing it for the first time. Like yeah. given no fucks. No fucks. <laughs> Okay, so how let's see. So how many years were y'all married before you started your Christian deconstruction process? And did you start that together? Did you start that separately? Like what did that look like for you? So Okay, let me get this timeline straight in my brain. Uh Floyd started his deconstruction process first. David started yeah. his first. Did he really? Yep. How long had you guys been married when he started his? We had been married 10 years. Well, 10 years. okay. So, so technically, I guess we started it together. And then because we read, no, I watched a documentary. Uh, yeah, 10 years ago, almost. I watched a documentary and I can't remember the exact name of the documentary, but it was on Netflix and it was like, the Bible tells me so or <gasps> something like that. Yes. But it was about like gay ministers in the, 
Lutheran and Episcopalian churches. And like Uh it had this breakdown of how scripture had been misinterpreted when it came to homosexuality being an abomination. And I shit you not, I I started that documentary folding laundry one afternoon. My homeschooled children were taking their nap. So they're taking their nap and I'm like folding laundry on the bed and like, oh, I'll just watch this Netflix documentary. It probably totally supports what I believe about gay people. Oh my God. The documentary ended, ended, and I was like, (laughs) okay, so I'm not homophobic anymore. It was like I started it out homophobic, and when the documentary was over, I was like, I'm not homophobic anymore. Like, it sucks that gay people have been treated this way. I cannot get behind this. So then David, who was a pastor at that time, yeah, we we grew up and, and went into ministry together. We were in ministry together for the first 12 years of our marriage. So oh, Jesus Christ in the south. <laughs> oh Jesus. So, so he comes home from the church after he's been at work all day and we get the kids to bed and I was like, "Babe, you have to watch this documentary that I watched today." And he was like, "No, I already know what I believe about gay people. It's an abomination. Right. Like I'm not watching right. that." And I was like, "Please, please watch this. Trust me." And he was like, "Okay, fine." Same thing happened to him. Like I watched that documentary twice in one day. Same thing happened to him. His jaw was on the floor. Wow. He looked over at me afterwards and he was like, well, if what we were taught about that is wrong, I wonder what else we've been taught that was wrong. Shit. Yep. And that was the start of our deconstruction. And so what we would do is David would go to work at the church during the day and then in the evenings and on weekends – we would be home together and we would be on YouTube watching things and we would be watching oh documentaries. Gosh. Oh my and gosh. we we started reading a book called Pagan Christianity and like yep. learning the pagan roots of Christian traditions. Yep. And like we started doing all of this stuff in secret. And oh my gosh. After about six months of that, we we both came to this place where we were like, we don't believe in this stuff enough to keep getting a paycheck for this. So we're like, now what do we do? Because like our income comes – like our sole income comes from our belief in this. Like what do we do? And so we formulated a plan to move. David found a job. Thankfully, he had always kept up with his IT skills. So he found a job as a a a network administrator for a school in East Texas. And that was how we left so that there would be no scandal. There, Nobody nobody to this day, unless they listen to this podcast or have found me online, right. nobody from that former church knows no. why we left the church. Wow. We wow. did it with no scandal. We were like, oh, yeah, David just found this other job and we're moving. Like that was how we did it. And then we Shows. moved eight hours away. First time we'd ever moved away from like the Texas Panhandle, except for when yep. we were in Bible college at Christ for the Nations Institute. Um, so we move away and it was like, for the first time ever, we could like stretch out and like take a breath and be like, okay, well, we're not going to church anymore. So who are we now that, now that we're not in ministry and now that we're not going to church and now that we're not like being all crazy conservative, who are we? And we started to, for the first time ever in our adult lives, we were both over 30. And for the first time ever, we were like, we get to figure out our identity outside of this. So David goes deep end into deconstruction, like 
he went all in. He started reading about atheism. He started studying other religions. He was listening to all these podcasts. He was watching shows like Zeitgeist. Like he was doing all this stuff and it scared the shit out of me because I was like, okay, I can, I cannot believe that the Bible is literal. I cannot go to church. I can believe that, that gay people are not sinful. I can believe all that, but I draw the line at Jesus. It's like, I can give up all that, but I cannot give up my belief that Jesus is the Lord and savior that died on the cross for my sins. And that that's what I need to go to heaven. I can get rid of all the other stuff, but I cannot get up, get rid of that. I was holding on to that belief in Jesus so much. And he was like, well, I fully expect that all this learning that I'm doing is going to bring me back to Jesus. Like if it's that wow. real, then everything I learned should point me back to that. And at one point I gave him an ultimatum and I was like, it's Jesus and me or nothing, buddy. Like I can't be married to you. What about the children, right? Like how are we going to raise our children? You did the same because you started I did, his I did deconstruction first. Too. Yeah. He, yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean – I wasn't trying to interrupt your story. I, I was no, just no, no, I, no. I, I think the ultimatum. Yeah, well, I, I gave I, him the ultimatum, and I, it was just because I was so scared because, like, so much trauma that I have comes from like being taught to pray the like now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to take. Yeah. Like so, by the age of seven, I was like going and going to bed at night, like contemplating my own death. Oh, and yeah. my own eternity yep. about like, well, what if I die tonight? Am I going to heaven? And so yep. then I would like recommit myself to Jesus all the time because I just needed to make sure it stuck. Like I just yep. had to make sure it was real. Then if I fooled around with a boy or like <sighs> did something else that was sinful or whatever, I would feel so much shame. Me and my boyfriends, I would be like, okay, we have to pray and ask God to forgive us. And we have to commit to God that we will never do this again. We will never fool yep. around again. Because we know that this disappoints God. And then I would like go home that night and be afraid that I would die and that I was going to go to hell because I fooled around with my boyfriend earlier that day. Yeah. So like I just had so much of myself was wrapped up in like Jesus. And and that was it. It's the sin of certainty. It's it's the uh, assurance of, you know, we've got this thing that, you know – it makes sense. A plus B equals C and I will be saved if, if that's the, you know, it's even now in my deconstruction and talking to other people who've deconstructed, it's like, I, people are like, I kind of miss hell. Like he's like, and they'll be like, I'm in, you know, that sounds so, you know, off base, but it's like that the certainty that this thing is real and that, you know, that Jesus represents what he is and, you know, salvation like salvation at the end of the day feels like such a good thing from the perspective. Like if you were to tell an adult this crazy, you know, almost sounds like a fairy tale story, they'd look at you and be like, that's a great thing for you to believe in. Good for you. But at the end of the day, it was like our assurance that we were doing it right. We were doing it better than all of y'all out there. We have the answers. We've got it together. Yep. Uh, There you go. Totally. I, 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 Definitely. And then, and then, then to like it. toy with the concept that, oh my, that maybe I don't have it all. Maybe this isn't the answer. Yeah. Like, oh God. what if? Yeah. Like, that's such a tender, scary thing it's to so feel. It's so scary. It's so and, scary. 
And yeah, so I had to get to the point with David where I was like, I don't want to hear about any of this. I don't want to hear about what you're learning. Don't talk to me about it. So like we started out very much on the same team with it. And it was like this journey that we were on together. And then it got to a point where I was like, I can't keep going. If you're going to keep going, I don't want to know about it. And so I would say for like a year after that, this was like 2014. So like for a year, he kept going, but we didn't really talk about it. And then we moved to Minnesota in 2015. And within a year of moving to Minnesota, I was like fully out. Okay. Like I I was fully like, I no longer identify as a Christian. Um, I don't identify as anything religiously. Like I'm still a very spirit. I, I, I put on being an atheist for like five minutes. I like tried it out. And then I was like, <laughs> I love it. but there was still some part of me that was like, no, I know there's something greater than myself. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what that is or what to call it yet. And I couldn't use the word God for a very long time because that was like really triggering to me. So Fair. I started using like universal consciousness or consciousness. Now I can say God and it's not a big deal, but, um, yeah, it's interesting that we we started our deconstruction around the same time. I stalled out for a while. He kept going. And then I caught up. And now we're both like pretty much in the same place with what we believe spiritually. And I don't That's know a- very many Christian couples, ex-Christian couples who like make it out and stay together. And yes, and can survive that journey. Yeah. It, like, like it's – when I look at what Floyd and I have survived, it, it – it blows my freaking mind. It does not, it doesn't make the math don't math. Like it just, it really, it really doesn't because, you know, he had that, you know, kind of jumpstart back into Christianity when he met me with the, you know, praying Jesus back into his heart and getting, okay, I'm right back on, we're going to do this. And, you know, we wanted to have, we talked, we wanted to have at least five kids and we were going to homeschool them all. And we were just going to have this little God's army and just, you know, do it all right. And, you know, uh, it was just what was right. It's what you're supposed to do. You know, it's the, it's the full picture. And so I'm at some point around, I guess I'll say this as quickly as possible. Things didn't go real smooth right after we got married. Um, I ended up having a lot of health issues, uh, right off the bat. Or when I got pregnant, then my son came two months early and he was came at he was 30 weeks then he was in the NICU and then i just like never recovered from my pregnancy i had my first stroke when i was 21 oh uh gosh. i ended up having just blood clots and was having just you name it just sicker than a dog with this infant you know this tiny baby i'm at mayo clinic uh, i finally get diagnosed with antiphospholipid syndrome which is a blood clotting disorder my blood is too thick Uh, and, uh, ultimately ended up having a hysterectomy when I was 23 because I bled for nearly a year straight. It was horrendous. Around this time is when I realized that my son is perhaps not neurotypical and he ends up getting diagnosed with autism. Uh, and my husband gets laid off from his job. Uh, we move out of our house and take on a house that is literally falling to the ground because we can't afford a house payment anymore. Like, and he's trying to rebuild this house. He's trying to take care of me. He's trying to co-parent with, you know, this autistic child that is just so much completely nonverbal. And Floyd started to drink and it was a way for him to cope. 
And he did it so, so well that I had no fucking clue what was going on. And you got to remember too, this isn't something I ever grew up around, ever saw, was like ever participated in. Um, I drank a few times right after we first got married and just, it was never something for me. What'd you say? You center you. I know the den of iniquity. (laughs) I walked right in, but I walked right back out again, Lindsay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But he just was struggling so bad with all of the responsibility that was on him. And one thing I'll add to this is uh, hindsight's 2020. I know that we were both young. We both had immaturity, but to a certain extent, that imagery that you're kind of handed as a girl with the whole purity culture thing also is that you're going to have this knight in shining armor mm-hmm. that's going to come in and it's just going to make everything better, right? Yeah. And Floyd did. He did make so many things better. I did get to be married to my best friend. We did have so much fun, but there was an ache and a pain and a shame inside of me that I didn't even understand. And it would present itself in ways where my expectation was that he make me happy. So on top of all the other things that he had going on, he had, you know, his wife being like, well, I have this problem. I need you to fix it. You know, like on top of that, like at one point, I remember he was working his full-time job. He worked at a gas station and he had a paper route because we were under the, also the, the the belief system that you don't have debt. So all of these medical bills that we're accruing with a special needs child, a premature child, I'm going to Mayo Clinic. We ended up having to file bankruptcy with nearly a quarter of a million dollars in medical debt. And with my naivety in the beginning going, okay, I have to pay these bills. I have to pay this medical bill. Like, I'm not going to be in debt. I'm not going to be getting. And so every extra penny is going to this and the man's working himself to the bone. So the drinking, it makes sense. You look back at it, it's just like. Good God, how did it not happen yeah. any sooner? <laughs> but um, I had no idea that it was happening. Eventually, uh, glossing over a large chunk of the story, but ended up coming clean. He went to rehab. Um, we lost everything. We, that's the time frame that we filed bankruptcy. We lost our home. We lost our cars. I barely had a backpack or a suitcase with like the clothes that I brought with me. Uh, because things went downhill very, very badly. Uh, but when he finally came clean, went to rehab, I was like, okay, like I can stand by him in this. I can forgive him in this. You know, we are one. So, you know, he hasn't done anything that's like so horrific that I can't stay with him and have love and grace for him. And so we got to like rebuild our lives, start kind of start over. But from that point, there was kind of like, just a massive unhappiness with going to church. And like whenever I wanted to read the Bible or he went along with it, but it was just like, I could tell I was afraid that the disdain was coming back. Right. You know, from when I first met him and that was when he went to rehab and all, all of that, that was right around the seven year mark. And then around the 10 year mark, he started to drink again. And Mm -hmm. It was, he had tried to go on an antidepressants and there's, you know, different antidepressants for different people. I'm not anti-medication. He's someone who on that specific medication should not be on it. Um, it. And 
it just numbed him out to the point that it was like he was, had been sober at that point for like three years, but being on the antidepressant actually caused him to start drinking again because mm-hmm. he just didn't care. And it was around that time that I gave the ultimatum that I wanted him to go seek Christian help. I want him to go get some sort of Christian rehab or do something. And it was around, it was, his response was, um, I'm not, I'm done with God. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, if there's really a God, A, a B, C, D, E, F, G, H, like he had his arguments ready. And uh, I didn't have anything to like fight that back with. And I was like, well, it's either you go get help or you lose, you know, me and your son. And in his pain and in that anguish that he was in, he was like, he, it would, was asking him to like, to like go and sit in a furnace. Like, it's like, oh, you can keep me. Like your son and I will wave to you from the window of the furnace. But you know, it was something that was going to kill him. And he said that he's like, if I do anything with God, I won't be here anymore. Like, I just can't handle it. And I was like, well, I can't handle this. And so mm-hmm. for this was the when he right before he went to rehab um at our 7 year mark we were separated and I was filing for divorce but we got back together and then at this point we separated and I was filing for divorce. And it was a long road of him getting help, him trying different things. Uh we were always in each other's lives but uh, we really kind of only started to get back together like 2017, 2018. So we were okay. kind of separated for like two to three years. He found a, a like a place of being calm with the whole God stuff. But what I what I didn't know and what he would say now is that I knew that in in order to stay with you, Tara, that I had to find peace with God. And I just knew that the Church of America was not going to hold that answer for me. Bless you. <laughs> um, and so that's he started his deconstruction right around the time that we got back together. And it was like very much unbeknownst to me. And I don't think he knew that's what was happening, but that's what it was. And he started researching like the early church and like going through different religions and like reading these things, the thee, thou, thy, then you know, all, you know, that I would never be able to sit there and, and like comprehend and he's going through it. And I had to have, um, a pituitary tumor removed. Um, I had Cushing's, uh, disease and we were in Texas at MD Anderson and we got to go to this museum while we were there. And I said something that made him think that I was on board with evolution. And he goes, Oh my God, I didn't know that you thought that way. Like, how come you haven't told me? I also think evolution is real. (laughs) And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So it was this like really big, oh shit. Now I have to make this choice to stay with him knowing that he believes in evolution. Oh yeah. That's like one of the big sins. It still kind of makes my blood run cold thinking about it because he just, oh my gosh, for my parents, I knew that would never fit their approval. Like we survived how much, Lindsay? Like the drinking, the alcoholism, the autism, my health issues. I just had a fucking brain tumor removed. But evolution was the deal breaker. Evolution 
was going to be the thing that brought us to a halt. And I was just like, oh, fuck, this is terrible. And he started to like really look into Greek Orthodoxy. And like, I don't know with your Southern Baptist roots, but like anything that's like Orthodox or, you know, like the Catholic or like, they're not actually saved. No, they're not. Like, they don't believe the same as us. They don't look the same as us. Like, it's, it's not the same. So thus they're evil, sinful, you know, not saved people. And so now he believes in evolution and he's fucking looking into Greek Orthodoxy, this fucking monster. He was just. And where are you at with things? I'm still at this stage, very much hook, line, and sinker going to church every Sunday. And this is, I mean, and this is like 2018, 2019. Okay. And I'm like, okay, I don't really know what to do. Um, I had my tumor removed at the end of 2019. And I don't know if you you recall this, but COVID's about to start. Yep. Yep. Because we're moving into 2020. And he is also in like I, the IT world and uh, get started to work from home during this period. And so we were kind of just like face to face with this like, well, I'm still where like I'm at and you're where you're at. And he was just, could we find a way to, you know, coexist together? And I don't know what it was, if it was his eyes changed. There wasn't pain there anymore. Hmm. There was just this peace. It was like I was seeing all of Floyd all of a sudden. And it was – he was kinder and more loving having given up everything that I had devoted my life to than a day that he had walked that life. You know, mm-hmm. he's always been a kind and wonderful person, but now he's like, oh – our little old lady neighbor needs help with this and I'm going to go over and I'm going to help this neighbor and I'm going to start join Habitat for Humanity and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who the fuck are you, dude? Like he was like that whole thing that like we said, even at the beginning where it's like, oh, what do you have? It's supposed to make me want what you, you know, like as a Christian, we're supposed to make them see the light within us and they're supposed to want it. And here Floyd had put the light down and I was like, Damn, that looks good. How do I get some of that? Like it was, it was, it was his own light. It wasn't yes, something else. It was yeah. it was Floyd. And bizarrely enough, um I had had I've had over the course of my life just issues with maintaining friendships. And I'm I'm not going into that or anything. I don't want to scare you, but it there was a situation in my life where I was like I think that I need to look at the common denominator and maybe start seeking therapy, not because of like a situation, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go to therapy because this bad thing happened. I need to talk through it. I think I need to find out if there's something I'm bringing to the table with friendships where like my insecurities and that time thing are really fucking with this. And so I started counseling and that counselor, bless him, he really allowed me he was a christian counselor because heaven forbid i go somewhere else but he was the first christian i had ever met that it was like why do you have to believe that's a sin why do you have to is what you believe is a sin is that how you're saved and i was like wait what and you know i had a friend tell me that she was an atheist during the time i was going to him and i walked in and i was like i can't be friends with her anymore and he's like why because my our lives were so exclusionary 
yeah, that totally. these concepts and ideas that these people that I could love this person and still be a Christian or, you know, not believe that homosexuality is a sin and still have my salvation. Like that started to open the door for me to like explore other things. I, he recommended that I read Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. And that led me to Dr. Nicole, the holistic psychologist, which led me to you. Oh my goodness. Okay. It's all coming together. You came to me by way of Brene Brown. That's awesome. Yes, I did. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I did. And uh, I started like devouring the information. Like it just, I read everything I could from, from Brene. And then when I found your page, I, I devoured everything I could from that. I had never heard of like, um, just the different kinds of therapies that you, you've talked about or the somatic movements. Like it just felt like so foreign and like new agey, but it was Mm -hmm. also like, wait a minute. I'm even if I tip my toe in the water of this, I feel better. So like, wouldn't God want me to feel better? Like it, and it was like that whole question that that counselor asked me, do you have to believe that this is a sin in order to have your salvation? I'm like, wait, that is not biblical. That is not anywhere in that Bible. I don't know. Like this, it was, it was, whether he knows it or not, it was like my gateway drug to everything else. Cause it was like, well, somatic movements doesn't seem like it would be, you know, such a bad thing. I'm going to, you know. It's not, not biblical. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, I just. I remember, oh, I drove people crazy sending them like your posts and videos and just um, because I had friends that were kind of like me just starting to explore other areas and, you know, wanting to spread the the word and the news and we would talk about it and it just, it opened my mind in a way I didn't know was possible. And that led to me going, I don't think scripture is literal. I don't think it's the literal word of God. That's a big one. That was a huge one. It was a great one to explain to my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because um, I still was, I had to break down, not just religiously, you know, deconstruct. I had to deconstruct from my, my relationship with my family. And it's oh, still hard totally. for me to even say, like, because it's just like, I feel like I'm saying something wrong. I'm betraying them. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, not being loyal. Family is everything. You put family first. But, and this is something that I haven't said, like, on any podcast or anything yet, because I've, or publicly in any way, but my family ostracized me as a result of participating with the documentary. Oh, I can And imagine. just because it's different. And so like, as I started my deconstruction process, there had to be a part of me that was like, at some point you will lose them. Like Mm -hmm. this is coming. Mm -hmm. And that made it all the more difficult because I was still so codependent. I was still so reliant on them for approval with so many aspects of my life. Like when Floyd started sharing me his different beliefs and the Greek Orthodox and that type of thing. Oh, mom was the word. I didn't say a damn thing to them until I started deconstructing myself and being like, well, I can make it easier for Floyd 
if I share with them, you know, that I'm exploring this and I found out really fast that that was not something that was going to be appreciated. Like, yeah, that's been the, the hardest thing that I've ever had to do was just the toxicity and the codependency is real, yo. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I, I know. I get what you mean. Yeah. So it's 2023 now. Are you still yeah. deconstructing? Oh, absolutely. I say that because I – and I I guess maybe I'll know if I get there. And I'm curious to know your answer to that. But like, will I ever not be? Like, I don't mean that like dramatically. It feels, yeah. it feels like there could be an end date to it. But it also – this is so new. I'm still just – stepping into my own power and I I don't know what it looks like to be completely self-assured and to know that I and maybe the answer is knowing that you don't have the answer like and maybe that's the maybe that's the destination like yeah. it feels because of like our upbringing that you have to have the answers in order to know that you're safe and secure and maybe finally undoing that thinking will be the arrival at the end of deconstruction because I'm still like, well, I need to know how I feel about this in order to know how I feel about this. Right. Like in order mm-hmm. to have the answer, I got to You have to be able to offer up a, an answer to anyone. If they have a question about things that's scriptural According to the Bible, yes, <laughs> which yes. you don't believe is literal anymore. I don't believe it's literal, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yes, I am still deconstructing. <laughs> That's right. You are. No, that's fine. I mean, I like my deconstruction, I would say is like, I feel like it's over. Um, Like, are there definitely still things from Christianity that I like am healing from? Sure. But not in any major capacity anymore. That's super even like, even the shame hope, around hope sex is like wow. the shame around sex was sort of the last piece that was really hanging on for dear life. Okay. And within within this last year, I have made massive progress on that. Congratulations. And, and a, thank you. And a lot of that actually didn't even come from like actual sex in my marriage. It came from enrolling in a year-long sensual dance class. And like oh, being so cool. in this class and like with other women. So it's really safe and it's online. So nobody else is in the room with me and learning to like move my body in ways that were completely off limits to me for the majority of my life and seeing like, I can be imperfect at this and be okay. I can move in this way and be okay. Um, so yeah, it was like getting more comfortable in my own skin had the ripple effect of like more enjoyable sex and less shame in my marriage. Oh, that's so amazing. You see what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I I see what you mean about the delineating factor between still needing, still having things to work through as far as trauma goes with religion or therapy goes. But as far as deconstruction goes, that in and of itself is different. Like that is, there isn't like an end date. And I went through – I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I went through different phases of, like, 
you know, it's almost like the stages of grief where it's like anger, oh, and yeah. blame and denial and depression and acceptance. And like, yep. you know, I, I can remember really vividly a couple of years where I was just so sarcastic towards <laughs> everything having to do with religion or Christianity yeah. specifically. Like, oh, yeah. I remember sending my husband like memes and we would just laugh because the memes were like trashing the church. You know, um, or, or we would watch videos that were like trashing the church and be like, yep. yes, fuck yes. So there was yeah. like definitely that. I went through the anger period. I went through yeah. the ambivalent period. Um, I the the there's one thing that I still miss from church, and I don't know that that will ever go away, but I still miss corporate worship, like a lot. I so where I'm at right now, I both deeply feel that and also just have been feeling more recently just like the hypocrisy of some of it but i i do hear you to my core because of just the community in that moment and yeah. the and just the there's nothing when you're with people that are authentic and genuine in their desire for worship there is just there nothing more purely loving even you know what i mean right. it just is i i absolutely yeah hear I'm that misty, to my core. i mean david and i we were worship leaders like we were contemporary worship leaders and like that's what we did for 12 years together and so like even though we were definitely indoctrinated with a bunch of different stuff that was legalistic and limiting and and condemning and shameful and like all of that I also cannot deny that like I have been in multiple experiences of like being on the stage and looking out over a crowd where wow. everyone is like heads up, tears rolling down their eyes because all of their energy and love and attention is like directed at the One being place. that they know yeah. as God, right? Even if that being – has human limitations placed on it, which I do yeah. believe we put human limitations on God. One and that's million what, percent. That's what the Bible is, is it's all these human limitations on an infinite creator, right? Yep. So, yep. But, but in those moments of worship, when there wasn't scripture being said, when nobody was preaching at anybody, like when nobody was pointing fingers at who was sinning and, oh, I need to hold you accountable and like all of that, like those moments were like pure loving yes like worship of something greater than yourself and yes. being in a crowd of people like that and witnessing that like you can feel the energy of it you know you can feel the energy of it and and energy doesn't lie no and like that's what i miss and so like if i, I could have yeah. that experience with like my friends and some musical instruments and if we all knew some songs that that were familiar yeah. to all of us. But like, that's the thing is like, I'm in a, a circle of women now. We meet every full moon and there are songs that we sing and like, I don't know these songs. And yeah. so I'm starting to learn them, but they don't really mean anything to me yet. They don't touch my heart yet the way that worship songs did. And so even in the last couple of years, I've gotten to the point where I can put on like old worship music and like listen to it through the lens of my understanding of God now. That is so freaking amazing, Lindsay. I love that so much. You have no idea. 
I hope that gives you some hope. <laughs> it does. It really does. It 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 truly does because I I can my soul aches for everything that you're saying. Like it just it and it, it makes me want to like analyze, you know, like your group of women which I just uh, obsessed. That's amazing. I love that. I wish I had that. It the songs are is the focus of the songs, you know, when you look at worship, it's about, it is about like the love that we have for the love that our, you know, creator has for us. Right. It's like this weird, I love you because you love me and you're going to bring me to heaven. Right. Like we're, we got, (laughs) (laughs) but like, it is, it is like this transference of love, right. That we're feeling loved in that moment. We're sending love in that moment. And it's, I like, how do you recreate, like, I don't know how you recreate that. I only know how to do it through like nature at this point. Yes. I can go out in nature and like, especially, I don't know if you've done this yet or not, but having multiple psychedelic journeys has been extremely helpful. I haven't gotten to do it yet. Okay. So that's been extremely helpful for me because when you're in that altered state of consciousness, it's not all that different from worship, which is also an altered state of consciousness right? Like it's not all that different. And so like if I'm like taking mushrooms or something and I'm outside and I like, you know, go up to a leaf and I'm like staring at the leaf, it's like four inches from my face and I can see this whole little universe moving on this leaf. And it's almost like you can see the building block, the cells with the chlorophyll in them with your naked eye, like not even a microscope. And like I have just stared at a leaf and just bald in the same way that I used to do with worship because it's like this is so magnificent and it's so beautiful. And like when I've been on psychedelics, I can see trees and they breathe. Like they right. they expand and contract and it's like, wow. Like yeah. it makes you want to worship that. Like I don't know how else to describe it. It's the same it feeling to me. me. I just miss it in a group. I was just like, going to say that the only most. thing that's missing is the group aspect yeah. of it. And yeah. just, you know, we're we're surrounded by people or, you know, the, whether we leave our house or not, we're surrounded by people every day, right? They're, they're all out and around us. And we're all, we may not have walked the exact same path, but we're all heading on the same journey, right? Yeah. We've all had this birth and it's all, we're, we're all going to have a death and there's, I don't know. There is something that binds us even in that. And I want to, I want to feel it in a bigger way again. I want to feel it like, I, yeah, I, I desperately, I also miss that aspect of it. Oh man, I'm going to have to try uh, my, get on my first psychedelic journey here because I'm missing out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely an entrance into into that. But like, yeah, even without psychedelics now, I can just like be outside in the woods and just be oh, like humbled. Nature. Nature yeah, is, has just, always been a very big uh, – and how could it not be? That's my church now. Like nature yes. is my church now. You I, know? I completely, I completely concur. Like it just I, – I, I, I'm never – well, and that was one of the things too when – my counselor had recommended the gifts of imperfection book to me. Floyd surprised me with a camping trip. Like 
I, he, rec- my counselor recommended the book and I like came Floyd home and Floyd was like, we're driving to Georgia and we're going camping. And it was like, this is awesome. And it couldn't have been more idyllic because it cemented it for me. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in the woods by myself, surrounded by nature. There were fawns coming up and like sniffing me while I read the book and like just squirrels and just feeling my toes in the dirt. And it was just like, oh my gosh, that couldn't have gotten more drilled into my head, that book, because it was just, I was in a worshipful state, you know, while receiving the information. Yeah. yeah. No, there's, there's definitely something bigger than, than all of us, because if you can hold that leaf and look at that, someone could hold you and look at you and be like, that's, yeah, I haven't thought about that like that, that, Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And I would sit here and talk to you for another hour I if I could, but I have to go to the chiropractor. Okay. <laughs> Girl, that's very important. <laughs> I have to go to the chiropractor. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Of course. Um, I could totally see you coming back and us having <sighs> another chat. Dude, yes. Um, that would be amazing. And is there like, is there anywhere that you want people to like find out more about you or like um, that you could share here and yeah. I'll make sure to put links in the show oh, notes? That would be awesome. I, we have a TikTok page. It's called Advocate Average. And then um, Instagram is also the same handle, Advocate Average. We're more active on uh, TikTok. I will say that I had to take a brief hiatus, like, you know, to therapize a bit after the whole family ostracizing thing, but sure. we're getting geared back up. And I'm wildly passionate about sharing my story, not because I'm a huge narcissist, because I know that I'm not alone, you know, no. and this is more conversations like this need to happen. So thank you so Agreed. much. Agreed. You're so welcome. Thanks for being <laughs> on the show. This is really fun. It was so fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this episode. Stay in touch with me by joining my email list at lindsaylockett.com forward slash email. And feel free to follow along on Instagram at I am Lindsay Lockett. Finally, you can check out all of my offerings, including courses, private coaching, and workshops on my website at lindsaylockett.com.